You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Forum Now. My name is Dr. Ben Akers, and I'm the Executive Director of Forum. Joining me today is Dr. John Seahorn, who's Professor of Theology and Scripture here at the Augustan Institute. Thanks for joining me, John. Very welcome. And we're going to go today for the feast day. We're going to go through all the passages in the New Testament that tell us who Bartholomew or Nathaniel is. So we'll see both of those names. Go. (laughs) (laughs) This is a sort of uh, uh, ambitious um, uh, approach to this, isn't it? We're going to look at all the things we know about St. Bartholomew, whose feast is today. So if you have your Bibles, you can can follow along with me uh, real quick here. So the first place is in... Matthew chapter 10, where we hear about Jesus uh, sending out the 12 uh, apostles. And starting in verse 2, it says, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, he's a familiar one, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew. And of course, it goes on from there. So that's one passage where we learn about Bartholomew. The next one, I'm actually not just going to go through them because it'll be boring. They're actually just parallels in Mark chapter 3 and then in Luke chapter 6. And then actually again in Acts chapter 1 after the ascension, we get these lists of, uh, of Jesus' 12 disciples, 11 in Acts 1, of course, until uh, Judas is uh, replaced by St. Matthias. Um, and that's actually all we know about Bartholomew uh, from Scripture. So what are we going to do with the celebration of the feast date? Does the, go- does the church pick a particular gospel for us to focus in on? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I didn't quite tell you the whole story uh, because as you, as you kind of mentioned uh, earlier, Bartholomew is traditionally associated uh, with uh, another follower of Jesus, identified with another follower of Jesus, whom we know as Nathaniel. And I think it might be a good idea just um, to, to get a little bit of a sense of why it is that this, this connection has been made uh, traditionally. It's not just something that the church kind of made up, pulled out of a hat, uh, and there are maybe good reasons to think that this is uh, quite plausible. So as I mentioned, the name Bartholomew only shows up in these lists. There's nowhere in the New Testament where Bartholomew is given a speaking part, at least under that name, right? So while Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about Bartholomew, the Gospel of John uh, mentions someone named Nathaniel, And he's actually mentioned in two passages in John, Um, after the resurrection, he's mentioned in John chapter 21, uh, but really only he's just listed as one of, one of the disciples, uh, who are out fishing, uh, when they're going to see Jesus, uh, on, on the seashore, right? And he also tells us that he's from Cana, is that correct? Yeah, that that comes into the story as well, right? So in John 21, we learn that Nathaniel is from Cana, which is a town in the region of Galilee, uh, which is also, of course, the region where Jesus was from, the town of Nazareth, uh, is is in Galilee. So the main passage, though, that, that we'll look at is in John uh, chapter 1, right, uh, where we read about Jesus calling Nathaniel. And I think it might be kind of cool to just go slowly through that passage and maybe discuss it together. But, right. uh, but before we do that, the reason why, um, why this Nathaniel, who's mentioned in John 1 and 21, is identified with Bartholomew, there are a couple reasons for it. Uh, the first one is that Bartholomew is not actually a personal name right? That bar element at the beginning, you might think actually of Barabbas, uh, whom the crowds chose 
uh, instead of Jesus, uh, or in Matthew 16, when, uh, when Jesus gives Simon his new name, Peter, he refers to him as Simon Bar-Jonah, right? So the bar element means son of. So Bartholomew is just sort of like a Greek version of what probably in Hebrew would have been Bartholmi, right? So that's actually not kind of like what we would think of as a first name, right? So Bartholomew is one, one candidate for someone who'd have a different name. Okay. And, um, and Nathaniel who's mentioned only in John 1 and John 21, doesn't show up on the lists of the 12. And yet that's really odd that we have this long story about Jesus calling him and him apparently following Jesus and then him showing up with the other disciples after the resurrection. That at least suggests that maybe Nathaniel really was one of the 12. And then the other reason is that you noticed it if you were listening really carefully. Were you listening carefully? I was. When I read from, uh, from Matthew chapter 10, uh, Nathaniel is listed right next to Philip, right? Uh, Philip and Bartholomew. And that's the case in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, right? And, and, and it's, even, it's even better than that, right? You always get sort of Simon and Andrew, right? The brothers, and then the brothers, James and John, and then this pair, Philip and Bartholomew. And if we read John chapter one, we see that, that uh, pretty closely mirrored, right? Yeah, this that Philip is first called, and then he comes and calls Nathaniel. He comes and calls Nathaniel. Well, let's yep. let's let's start reading in the text. So, if you want to join along, read along with us. We're in John's Gospel, John chapter one, verse forty-three. We'll start and we'll continue and we'll read through uh, the end of chapter one, which is one fifty-one. Okay. So, John one forty-three. The next day, J Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, "Follow me." Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So that makes sense. So we've already heard Andrew and Andrew called, follow mm -hmm. Jesus. Andrew goes and gets his brother, Simon, who becomes Peter in the gospel. And then they tell Jesus about other friends of theirs. Right. And so they, get, they tell Jesus about uh, Philip. So right. this is why Jesus is in Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's a, that's a pretty uh, impressive introduction. That is a ringing endorsement. Yes, <laughs> yes ringing we've, endorsement. we've found the one. So the whole of Moses and the prophets, that's the entire mm -hmm. Old Testament, mm -hmm. the entire Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, and it's, it is really interesting here that, that Philip already recognizes this at least at some level, right? And if, if you just maybe have been reading through the Gospels, the last chapter you read before this would have been Luke chapter 24, right, where after the resurrection, Jesus uh, has to explain to the disciples on the road to Emmaus how, um, how his death and resurrection had been predicted uh, in the law and the prophets. And then again, he tells, um, he tells the, uh, the disciples when he goes to see them in Jerusalem, right, uh, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. And so it's kind of a cool canonical connection to make as you're reading the gospel. But you know, one of the, one of the characteristics of John's gospel is that, is that Jesus is always taking you deeper, right? He meets people wherever they're, they're at in terms of their faith and their level of engagement with him, their level of understanding of him. And he always calls them deeper. And that's a, that's a really important dynamic we're actually gonna see throughout this, this little passage we're studying. So it's, it's really neat to see where Philip sort of begins, right? He recognizes this is the one that the scriptures have foretold. 
uh, Moses in the law and also the prophets. And then he names him Jesus of Nazareth. So gives him his name and where he's from, which will come into the story, of course. And then he calls him the son of Joseph. And that question too of whose son is Jesus uh, is gonna be important as we proceed. And uh, that might connect another connection to Bartholomew, where his name means son of. Right, if, if, we, if, we, if we take it that Nathaniel is, is also Bartholomew, Bartholomew. Uh, which I do, although the, the text here doesn't the text say doesn't that. Merit yeah. that. So I, what was struck me when, we were, when I just read that was, he, Jesus finds Philip and then Philip finds Nathaniel. Mm -hmm. that, that Philip is already imitating what Christ does. Yeah. He goes and he finds someone to yeah. bring to Christ. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's an important thing too, this, this dynamic of finding, because um, I actually was reading a commentary earlier and, uh, and, um, and there's one scholar who kind of points out that, that Philip actually oversteps here by saying we found him because in fact, Jesus is the one, right? Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. But to be honest with you, I think that's sort of overreading the text. Because again and again and again in John's gospel, right, Jesus invites people to come and see, right? And they do come and see and there's this kind of there's this kind of reciprocity in in encountering Jesus. And I actually think that John celebrates that. I don't think that that's a kind of like subtle criticism of, of Philip here. And, if, and just this is a pattern for identifying if you had a true encounter with Christ, that once you found Christ, you want to go and share that good news with someone else. Absolutely. Andrew just told his brother, we have found the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Jesus had called Andrew and John the evangelist, and then we found the Messiah. He finds another. Philip has encountered Christ and now wants to go and help somebody else find Jesus. Absolutely. So as we go through, uh, Nathaniel said to him, so we're in John chapter 1, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So this is one of the most <laughs> ironic statements that one has ever could make in scripture, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the greatest irony is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, the greatest. God, the word became flesh and dwelt mm -hmm. among us here in Nazareth. And that's, that's who they're going to find. Mm -hmm. So this is incredible irony here. It's, it's kind of a cool thing then. You mentioned that all the way at the end of the gospel, we learn that uh, Nathaniel's actually from Cana, right? And it's, it's kind of cool that in the very next scene of the gospel, it's gonna be the wedding feast at Cana. So it suggests maybe there are some interesting connections there that, that John doesn't spell out for us. But I, I like to think that it also gives us a little bit of insight into, um, into uh, Nathaniel's attitude about Nazareth. It's sort of like, you know, the, this other rival town or something like that, like I'm a good Cana boy. Like nothing good comes out of Nazareth, give me a break. Yeah, some early competition between Nazareth and, and Cana. Could be, yeah. Can anything good come out of, and Philip says to him, come and see. The same words that Jesus had said to Andrew and to John just the, a couple verses before. Exactly. Come exactly. and see. So he's already, not only is Philip doing what Jesus does, he's actually saying what Jesus does. He's actually using the same words that Jesus uses. And again, we see that, that kind of challenge for a deeper engagement, right? Um, I, I love just to back up again to, um, you know, you just mentioned Jesus' encounter with Andrew and the other disciple, who I think there's good reason to think that the other disciple, John the Baptist, that, uh, that we meet there is actually John, the beloved uh, disciple. And they'd started following Jesus because uh, their old rabbi, John the Baptist, had pointed out and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And when Jesus turns and sees them, he says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And I just think that's such a, that's, it's so powerful, right, that, um, that the, this, is, this is the first things that we, the first thing we hear Jesus say uh, in John's gospel. What are you looking for? And it's something 
that, that really he asks each of us because um, Jesus is what we're looking for, but even our understanding of who he is always needs to be deepened. And so he's challenging us, what are you looking for, right? And then they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And then he says, come and see. And so it's, it's an invitation into this deeper and deeper uh, encounter with Christ. And that's, a, that's the way that we are called to evangelize as well, to be invitational, invitational, to invite someone to come and meet Jesus. Absolutely. To uh, propose the gospel, don't impose the gospel. Right. And then, and just as you said, Philip has already learned this pattern. And so that's what he says to Nathaniel, come and see, come and have this, this encounter. And maybe, maybe even find out that you don't fully understand what you're looking for. You don't fully understand what makes your heart restless. I love that Nathaniel doesn't just say, well, whatever, nothing good can come of Nazareth. Where he doesn't just say, you know, slap down the invitation, yeah. just say, nah, I'm not interested. I, I want to read the, this passage of scripture. I, wanna, I have other things to do. But he takes him up. He, he uh, says these, this statement, but then becomes very humble. He mm -hmm. says, okay, I trust you as my friend. Mm -hmm. and I'll go and see. And he comes to meet Jesus. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, so Jesus takes the initiative and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Anything that you want to add on that or should I keep reading? Uh, oh, there's okay. a lot There's oh, yeah. a lot to say there, I think. Uh, yeah, so guile, the, the, my translation here says deceit, deceit. right? Uh, same idea. But I think maybe it's worth just pausing because we'll, this is another point we'll kind of come back to that um, there's a real irony here. I mean, like, this is one of the places where uh, Jesus, Jesus is being uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek maybe, right? Because he says, behold, an Israelite indeed, right? Well, what's an Israelite? An Israelite literally is a son of Israel, right? They look back to the patriarch Israel, whose name had been Jacob. And he's named Jacob because Jacob means supplanter, hmm. right? Uh, he comes out holding on to his brother Esau's heel when, when they're born of their mother, uh, Rebecca. And then Jacob's, much of Jacob's life is sort of going from guile to guile, from deceit to deceit, right? He steals Esau's uh, birthright. He steals his blessing from their father by deceiving their father. He goes up uh, and, and, and lives in the household of his uncle Laban uh, for 20 years. And at least from Laban's point of view, uh, engages in some pretty shifty, underhanded practices in order to enrich himself, right? And so um, this great father of, of the nation of Israel is sort of known as someone who is incredibly shrewd, uh, actually incredibly full of guile, incredibly full of deceit. That's good. So Jesus plays on these words himself, that's this image himself. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we don't know that, that where uh, Nathaniel actually was. was he, did Jesus see him long distance? Or, but there seems to be something else going on here because Nathaniel's response seems out of proportion from just this yes, brief introduction. Yes, out of proportion. Yeah. So w let's read what Nathaniel says and then unpack it. Mm -hmm. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's pretty bold. We're not going to hear a statement, you know, That's, son of God until the end of the gospel with Thomas saying, you are my Lord and my God. And king of Israel? That's, that, that's Mar a, Martha will say it. Oh, Martha, Martha that's right. That's it, right. Yeah. Martha will say it. Uh, but, this, but to yeah, go straight to that, yeah. 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 Well, and, and so just, just one thing to tag, uh, 
before we, we really unpack it, notice the progression where now Nathaniel has actually gone beyond how Philip introduced Jesus. Because Philip introduced him as uh, indeed the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, but the son of Joseph. And now after Jesus uh, takes the initiative, like you said, and speaks to Nathaniel and says, I saw you uh, under the fig tree, he says, you are the son of God, right? Uh, okay, so how are we going to, what does this mean? Yeah, so uh, as often is the case, when we get to a confusing passage in the New Testament, we can look to the Old Testament for some answers. Absolutely. So I think there's a passage we can go to in Zechariah. You know, can we, can we take to? one stop over yeah. before we get to Zechariah? Yeah. And that's, that's actually to look at, uh, at Psalm chapter 2. Um, or we could, well, there are a number of Psalms we could look at. I just opened a Psalm 89, and that's actually another one yeah. we could look at for this. So Psalm 89 uh, is this, this, this beautiful Psalm um, about the covenant that God made with David, right? David, who is sort of, in many ways, always remains the model, the ideal of uh, the king of Israel, right? And I think it's interesting, not just the king of the Jews, right, which is especially what the Romans will call Jesus, but the king of Israel and this ideal of a reunited Israel, right, the tribes had broken apart after the time of David's son Solomon, and they were never reunited, right? The northern tribes uh, in the 8th century BC went into exile and were scattered among the nations, okay? And so, so David, this model of like David and Solomon as the, as the, the kings of all Israel uh, is something that still looms large in, in the Jewish mindset. And let me see if I can find uh, the verse that I have in mind um, where he says, sorry, I should have, I should have looked ahead and found this. Um, I'm not, I'm not finding it. <laughs> the highest of the kings of the earth? No, uh, the point about God being the father to David's to David's right, sons. so in uh, Psalm 89, verse 26. 26, thank you, right, yeah. He, meaning the Davidic king, shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is one of a number, thanks for finding those verses yeah. for me, Ben. Uh, this is one of a number of a passages in the Old Testament where we find that, uh, that the king was seen as, this, in, a, in a special way, the son of God. Not in the sense that David was actually divine, but that David's whole job, the job of a good Israelite king, is almost to act as like a sacrament of the Lord as king, right? Uh, not to replace him, but to make effective, to make present on earth God's justice, God's righteousness, God's kingship, God's sovereignty, right? And so, this helps us kind of make sense of the progression in John 1. We hear Nathaniel saying, son of God, and we hear that as a divine title. And certainly it is that, right? But, um, but we can also read it in the first instance as a Davidic title. So when he says, you are the son of God, the king mm -hmm. of Israel, this is really two titles for the same thing. So maybe now we go to Zechariah and find out why yeah. Nathaniel would connect this kind of confusing thing that Jesus says about the fig tree uh, with the king of Israel. Right. So my, uh, Zechariah, just to give some historical context, he, this is after the time of exile. So mm -hmm. Israel is, uh, has been exiled there. Uh, there's going to be, they're talking about a messianic age, right? They're mm -hmm. discussing a messianic age and what it's going to look like to rebuild the temple. The temple has been destroyed. 
and some signs for to to look for this re restorative messianic age. Is that correct? Yeah, and just remind us too, like what what Messiah actually means, because we use that word a lot. Sure. We're maybe not always very precise about about what it actually means. Sure. So Messiah means anointed one. So those who are anointed in the Old Testament, the priests, prophets, kings, mm -hmm. uh, and then Christ is just the Greek form of one who is anointed. Right. So we're in Zechariah 3. What verse do you want to start? 6? Yeah, we can start with 6. The angel of the Lord enjoined Joshua. So Joshua is this priestly figure. The high priest, yeah. High priest. Yep. And of course, Joshua is, is the same name as Jesus. Jesus. is Greek of yep. that. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. So what is the house? Is this the Davidic house or is this the house of the Lord, the temple? Oh, I think it's an open question. Open question. Yeah. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men of good omen. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, upon the stone which I have set before Joshua, upon a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Right. So, so, so this, this image of sitting under a fig tree, and there are a couple other passages uh, in, in, uh, in the prophets that suggest this, is, is evocative, at least, of the hope of the Messianic age. Right. And so at least one very plausible uh, interpretation has been put forward for Nathaniel's reaction to Jesus is that Nathaniel, as an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, no guile, who knows his scriptures, who trusts in God and who's waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled, that, that Jesus's reference here to the fig tree kind of taking him aback. Not only do I know who you are. Right? Because how do you know me? Well, you know, Philip told me about you and, uh, and I recognized your description or something like that. No, he, he goes his fig tree thing. So you can just imagine this, right? He's sort of taken aback and that little hint of the fig tree, it's like sets off this chain reaction of biblical connections, right? And so many scholars have pointed to this verse in particular, Zechariah 3.10, the mention of the fig tree there, as potentially a kind of starting point for that chain. Well, uh, in this passage, it refers to the Messianic age as a time when, uh, when everyone will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. The, the Messianic figure is referred to as the branch, right? So back in verse 8, behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And there are actually a number of passages in Zechariah, but also in uh, Jeremiah 33, and I think perhaps most importantly, well, Jeremiah 33 is pretty important, uh, Isaiah 11 mm -hmm. is another one that refers to a Messianic figure as the branch. Now, if, if, if Nathaniel starts making this connection, it's really interesting. There are, there are a few different Hebrew words that are used for branch uh, in these passages, but we, we do know that Jews by the first century were putting them together and identifying them with each other, thinking these are all the same figure. Well, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, maybe we could just turn back there uh, briefly because it's such an important uh, passage. It's a familiar one. It says, <clears throat> There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Right? So we're talking about offspring from the house of David. Jesse there is uh, King David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
And then it goes on about how the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, in John chapter one, we just read about how John the Baptist recognizes Jesus because he's the one on whom he sees the spirit rest, yes, the baptism, right? Yeah. Abide yeah. on, on Jesus. Okay. So the reader of John anyway, is starting to like maybe put these pieces together. Well, what's really fascinating is that in this very important in verse, the, the Hebrew term that's used for branch, I'm going to put you on the spot, Ben. How's your Hebrew? It's, What's the word here? In Isaiah? In Isaiah. It's not Netzer, right? It is. It, it is Netzer. It is. It this is, is the one where it's okay. Netzer. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and so why would that be important, right? That Netzer is the term for branch here. Is it related to Nazareth? Well, we don't know for we sure. Don't know. Okay. Right? We don't know for sure, but it seems likely, right? Matthew has a really mysterious verse at the end of Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, uh, Matthew says that when the Holy Family returned from Egypt, they came back at first to Bethlehem, but they found that Herod the Great's son Archelaus was still king there, and they wanted to get out of there, so they went back to Nazareth. And then Matthew, who's a, an, an incredibly careful reader of, of the scriptures of Israel, says this was to fulfill what was written in the scriptures, he shall be called a Nazarene. And you think, wait a minute, Matthew. Yeah. That, that's actually that not a verse yeah. anywhere in the Old Testament. And this has puzzled many scholars for a long time. But uh, a number of them have, have said, look, this is a very traditional way of a kind of, we, we might think of it as a flexible way of reading the Old Testament, but it was very common uh, among Jews. And it's likely that this is the verse he had in mind, that the Messiah, the Son of God, who will come to redeem the people, will be a Nazarene because he is called Netzer. Hmm. And so you could almost think of Nazareth, you could almost translate it as like Branchville. Okay, so to get back to Nathaniel, we <laughs> right. could put the pieces together, right? He hears this reference to the fig tree. It reminds him of Zechariah 3 and the Messianic age and the Messiah who is the branch who is called Netzer and all of a sudden he understands how something good can come from Nazareth. That's incredible. And the things that struck me in Zechariah 3, this, the angel, because Jesus is going to talk about angels yep. ascending and descending, a, a high priestly figure named Joshua or Jesus, branch town, branch mentioned, the, Jesus being from Nazareth, the branch town, and then the guilt, guile, deceit, sin removed yes. in one day. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's a great one, too. I did want to mention when he says, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. That is probably, at least in part, a reference to Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, which say, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Hmm. So St. Augustine actually preaches on this passage, and he says, what does that mean that Jesus says there's no deceit or guile in him? Does that mean he has no sin? No, of course not, right? If we say we have no sin, then we, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. And Augustine says, no, what it means for him to have no deceit is that he doesn't lie about having no sin. He knows he needs a physician. And sure enough, there in Psalm 32, to have a spirit in which there's no deceit is someone who's not who has never sinned, but whose transgression has been forgiven. That's, that's beautiful. Let's, in the time remaining, uh, there's another Old Testament passage that Jesus is, refers to. Mm. And you've already mentioned about Jacob being the, the one who's known as being full of guile in the Old Testament. And Jesus has a reference to Genesis 28, it seems, when he says, in, we're in John chapter 1, verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things 
than these. Mm -hmm. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. so this is a story that takes us back to Genesis 28, where Jacob hears the voice of God for the first time in his life, and he sees, he has a vision at night of angels ascending and descending. He's, you know, the temple of the Lord, in a sense, is opened up. The heavens are opened. He sees God where God dwells. And angels are going up and down. So right. why would Jesus refer to this passage in Genesis 28 and how does it relate to Nathaniel? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I actually want to connect it to the very last thing he says. We, we noticed that we started with Philip referring to Jesus as the son of Joseph and then Nathaniel calling him son of God. And now Jesus calls himself the son of man. And we, again, we tend to maybe think of that as having to do with his humanity, but the biblical background for this is in Daniel 7, mm -hmm. where there's this heavenly figure called the Son of Man, who's invested by God with this, un, this unequaled, unmatched authority, right? And he's actually seen as this heavenly and even divine figure, right? So Jesus is the Son of Man, and as the Son of Man, he's the one on whom the angels of God ascend and descend and heaven is opened. So not only is he the Davidic Messiah, the true King of Israel, who's going to bring about the Messianic reign. He is actually the very meeting place of heaven and earth. He himself is the true temple of God. And these are the greater things that Nathaniel will not only see, but spend his life proclaiming and eventually be put to, put to death for proclaiming. That's incredible. In Genesis 28, Jacob renames the place, house of God, Bethel. Mm. It's a, the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so as, as Dr. Seahorn mentioned, it is Jesus himself in his, in his person, the, both God and, and man, that we have the gate of heaven. In John's gospel, he'll actually say, I am the gate. He is the house of God. He is where God and man meet. He's the new temple. The temple is where the house of God, where people worshiped. And so, Hope you enjoyed this Bible study that we went through in this story about St. Bartholomew, who it seems as if we don't know a lot about him, uh, but we actually do uh, from exploring this passage in John chapter 1. Uh, if you're interested in following along, we have the English Standard Version Catholic Edition of the Bible. You can find it on catholic.market. And we thank you for your support. Please join us in mission by joining the Mission Circle. And we thank you and God bless. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.